Reading is from Romans 16, starting at verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Sencre. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a great help to many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my relatives, who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, whom I love in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, tested and approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my relative. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I am full of joy over you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my relatives. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus send you their greetings. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Romans 16, you'll find it helpful to have it open in front of you uh, on page 1142. And so we've reached the end of our, um, uh, our, well, we've nearly reached the end of our series on Romans. And we're going to look in a few minutes at this remarkable chapter, really. It's unlike, really unlike any other chapter in Paul's writing. And with, the, with this chapter, obviously, he concludes the letter. And I guess that there's a danger that as you heard it read, or perhaps as you read the scriptures yourself, that you are somewhat bored by the list of names, uh, name after name, and perhaps there's a temptation to skip them. 
Perhaps, though, a shame on us uh, for feeling that. These words were written in 57 AD, just 25 years or so after the death and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. And they reveal in a, in a very special way how the gospel was penetrating all sectors of society just within one generation of Jesus' death and resurrection. Just think how amazing it is that all these people have become Christ followers. How amazing that Paul knew them, even though he had never been to Rome long before Facebook. How amazing that he bothered to think of them all. How amazing that he was praying for them. How amazing that these people and a handful of others uh, scattered around the northern Mediterranean seaboard uh, led to 2,000 years of history, led to this. Eventually, led to, uh, keep going, led to this and led to this sole survivor and led to this a house group and led to this Tim Paraguay translating the Bible uh, Tim Curtis translating the Bible in Paraguay to the ethnic people and led to this a Sago trip in St. Andrew's name to Bangalore and of course I could show you lots more pictures and you'll have your own as well but what has Paul been trying to say to, uh, to tell the Roman church? What has been the essence of his message in this letter? I believe it is essentially about the grace of God, the unmerited favour of God. The great news is that God has come and rescued. He calls fallen, sinful, hopeless people like us to put their faith to believe in the one that he has sent. Come to Jesus, and while of course there will still be struggle and pain and death, all who come to him will be saved. Last Sunday morning I preached in our series on uh, encounters with Jesus that people have as described to us in John's Gospel with the story in Romans 8 of Jesus' encounter with the woman caught in adultery. And I showed this little film that I want to show now uh, to illustrate uh, that sermon. But I think it fits in very well for this kind of summary of, um, of, Romans, uh, of the Epistle to the Romans and of perhaps where these people in chapter 16 might have been. So I'm going to show you this little YouTube clip. Now the key to this is understanding that the guy in the, in the purple robe represents God or Jesus. Now I mentioned that because somebody came up to me very confused after the morning service and said they didn't understand the thing at all. So God is the one in the purple, okay? You will all understand that because you're up to date. But there we go. Anyway, she's not here tonight, so I can, it's all right. Away we go. Well, I imagine that that's the story of many of the people who are featured in uh, Romans 16. We don't know what their individual tale is, but they will fit somewhere into that picture. And I wonder where you place yourself in that mind. Perhaps you're at the start, like the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8, who had a first encounter with Jesus, didn't know much about Jesus, 
but he listens, he considers carefully, he shows compassion, balance, forgiveness. He challenges to a new lifestyle. Maybe that's where you are at the moment. There are many at St. Andrews like that, I think. They come and go from time to time. They come to church sometimes. Perhaps they sign up for Alpha. Perhaps they've done Alpha uh, once, maybe even uh, been to other churches and looked around as well. There are certainly many like that in our children's and youth groups, very attracted to Jesus, but certainly not yet committed to following him. Not yet committed to what uh, Jesus says to the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8, when he says, neither do I condemn you, a very Roman's word, go and sin no more. They're not ready for that change in lifestyle. Perhaps that's where you are at the start, weighing it up, deciding. Or perhaps you relate to the girl as she is seduced from Jesus' presence. The Christian life has got a bit stale, perhaps. Job's a bit dull. Marriage, well, okay. But the guy at work is very attractive. Money is short. And Christians are always telling you to give more away. And now there's going to be a building project, perhaps, as well. Oh, dear. Seems all a bit hard work and tiring. And so you begin to dance with the devil. Paul reminds us that Satan will be crushed under Jesus' feet. Or perhaps you relate to the struggle. You know that Jesus' way is the best way. And right now you're having a tremendous battle with the sin that you know you want to leave behind. Well, we've all been there. And anyone who told you the Christian life would be easy was not telling you the truth. But perhaps, of course, you relate to the girl restored to relationship with Jesus. That's, I think, where we can assume that most of these people in Romans 16 are. Restored to relationship with Jesus, at peace with God again, on the road to heaven, confident of the truth of what Paul has outlined in Romans, in the letter to the Romans. Many of you, I know, are in that place. But how did you get there? How did the woman caught in adultery get there if that is where she got to? How do you get there? Yes, of course, we have to struggle a bit. Yes, we have to uh, turn our backs on temptation and doubt. Perhaps we have to say no to certain attractions that are very appealing. But you got there because eventually you realized that Jesus had won the battle for you. That was the crucial breakthrough. That was the crucial breakthrough in the film. It will, for certain, if you are confidently on the road to heaven, be true for you. That you came to see that you, just as the woman in adultery, you could not atone for your sins. I could not atone for my sins. The woman caught in adultery deserved to be stoned, according to the law. She deserved to be contemned, according to the law, as did the man who she committed adultery with. The law required it. You see, she is forgiven and we are forgiven not because we have become good. She is forgiven and we are forgiven because the one forgiving us, the one who has power to forgive, will be condemned in her place and has been condemned in our place. And I suggest if we've got that, if you get that in due course, if it becomes something that is written on your heart and your mind. If the woman in adultery, uh, 
later on heard that Jesus died on the cross for her and the one who had said, I do not contemn you, leave your life of sin, had, so to speak, been stoned in her place, had been condemned in her place. The law had been satisfied. If she got that, then leaving her life of sin was not simply a matter of gritting her teeth and saying no to sin. If she got that, she was saved from sin. If we've got that, we are saved from sin. Not by our own efforts, but by this very same Jesus. And when we get that, which we call the conversion experience, then we are truly enchanged by the encounter, as that film tried to demonstrate. Once she saw that Jesus had been condemned in her place, even though she was condemning herself, self-harming, feeling suicidal, Jesus himself had done it all for her so that she could be free. He is condemned, therefore, as it says in Romans 8, therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is the great news that the letter to the Romans contains. That's the great news for us and for the great news for the world. And when you see that, when you get it, when you get the full impact of grace, it is always life-transforming. It is always life-transforming. And the people who fall away from Christ are people who have never quite got that. That is a tremendous acceptance that God offers to us. Now let's look for a moment at a few of these mentioned in Romans 6 to demonstrate how God's glorious grace and, uh, and is expressed in his acceptance of a, of a widely diverse people. His grace was impacting even after 25 years a wide variety of people so early in Christian history and we are a wide variety of people from many different countries, many different cultures and of course this city is full of Christians uh, from many, many different backgrounds and places. But I want to look just very quickly at five case studies uh, from this chapter. First of all, take uh, Phoebe in chapter one. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Sencre. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a great help to many people, including me. So Phoebe is the one entrusted with delivery of this vital letter. Paul has written, Tertius has, has written it out, Paul's dictated it, Tertius has written it out, and he's given it to Phoebe and said, take this to Rome and thank the Lord that she didn't fail or entrust it to the postal service or something like that. But she took it herself. Sorry about that, uh, Nick. Nick's a postman, so I'm sorry about that. Didn't mean to insult the postal service. I'm sure you're a wonderful postman. But we get letters sometimes quite a lot later, not 2,000 years later. But anyway, there you go. Uh, it says that she is a servant, uh, literally a deacon, and that she is a sister in Christ. She's clearly a leading figure in the no doubt very small church in Sencre, which is on the Aegean coast. She seems to have been a woman of influence and probably wealth. The reason we know that is that the word used for helper here might be translated patron. It usually is. She is someone who extends patronage uh, to Paul. She facilitates his ministry. So that was why she, it was pretty safer. She would have had people traveling with her, and it was very wise of Paul to entrust his letter to her because the likelihood is that she would be protected on her journey, for she had wealth enabling her to be protected. She's been a great help to Paul. 
So here, as one commentator puts it, is this, an example of the Christian who, as a faithful steward, uses her talents, resources, and opportunities to further the work of the kingdom of God. I wonder if Phoebe might be a role model for you. Let's look at Priscilla and Aquila in verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They, they risk their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Priscilla and Aquila. What do you notice about that straight away? Unusually, but almost always when Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned, Priscilla is named before her husband. That's very unusual in those times. Perhaps he was the breadwinner, for we know that they had a leather goods business. And perhaps there was a danger that he thought that religion was what his wife did. That's not completely unknown in this day and age, but surely not too modern an idea, I hope. But certainly she seems to be the spiritual powerhouse in the family. They had worked in Rome, and they had been expelled by Claudius, we know this from Acts, who kicked all the Jews out of Rome. And Paul met them in Corinth after they had become followers of Jesus. They were already Christians. They moved to Ephesus with him. They joined his, his mission team, and they moved to Ephesus with him, where, amongst others, they discipled Apollos, who was a very key leader in the early church. But by 57 AD, when this letter is written, they've returned to Rome, and we find them hosting a church in their house. So here is a mobile, successful business couple who put their Christian faith on the line wherever they go. Business is important, and many of the moves in their life are associated with a job change, as they will be uh, for many of us. But although business is important and career is important, earning a living is important, it comes second to the gospel. Wherever they go, they are first and foremost Christians and prepared to use their home uh, for a church, for a house church or for a house group. Might Priscilla and Aquila be your role models? Let's move on to verse 7. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my relatives, who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. It's, it's, it's quite difficult to skip by this. Now, just as I read that, I looked at the verse 6. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. I wonder who that Mary was. We don't know who that, who, which Mary that was. There must be a story there. But this couple, Andronicus and Junius, it is, the assumption is that they are a married couple, Although Junia or Junias, uh, like the name Julian, for instance, uh, could be either a man's or a woman's name. So uh, it's quite interesting, this verse, because sometimes people build uh, great arguments for the role of women in the church on, on this verse. But since we're not sure whether Junia is a, juni is a woman or a man, it's a perilous theological argument. So I would say that if you want to build a case for women bishops, uh, this is probably not the best place to go. Equally, if you want to build a case for saying that Jesus only had men in his leadership team, uh, don't use this verse. 
What I think is interesting about this is that they are called apostles. That is a fascinating, a fascinating reference. They're the only people in the chapter who are called apostles. They are outstanding among the apostles. What on earth did Paul mean by that? One commentator suggests that uh, not only are they from Paul's family or tribe relatives, which he says, but that perhaps they were amongst the 72 apostles or disciples who Jesus sent out on his mission, as Luke tells us in his gospel. He sent 72 out uh, to spread the news that the kingdom had grown, drawn near. And certainly it is likely, because they were in Christ before Paul, that they were with Jesus before the crucifixion. That's almost certainly why he calls them apostles. They were with Jesus before the crucifixion and resurrection, designated apostolic, therefore. In Christ before me, Paul says. So here are two people. We don't know very much about them, but we can put quite a bit together. Here are two people with a very real experience of Christ, a very real experience of Christ some 30 years before this letter was written, and they have persevered through good and bad times. What an extraordinary life they must have led from those days when they were wandering around with Jesus uh, in Palestine. But they've hung in there, they're still there, and they are amongst the apostolic community. Have you uh, had a great experience of Christ many years ago, perhaps? Uh, but you're persevering in your Christian discipleship. Well, Andronicus and Junius might be good role models for you. Let's look at uh, Ampliatus in verse 8. Greet Ampliatus, whom I love in the Lord. And you might be thinking, what can I possibly find to say about him? Well, I've rather grown to like this chap during this week as I've been reading about this chapter. He was almost certainly a slave. It's a slave name. But listen to this. Now, some of you will have been to the catacombs in Rome. And in the catacombs in Rome, there is a catacomb of Flavia Domitilla. And Flavia was sent into exile after her husband was executed by the Emperor Domitian for their Christian faith. So he was executed and Flavia was sent into exile. But obviously when she died, her body was brought back and she was buried in her catacomb burial place uh, in Rome and inscribed in her catacomb in big letters big capital letters is the name Ampliatus could the Christian faith have been introduced into the imperial family by this humble but much loved slave well we don't know but we can conjecture and perhaps therefore the impact of your faithful Christian witness. I mean, what a difference it made that the Christian witness got right into the imperial household. That in due course was to have a world-transforming impact. Perhaps the impact of your faithful Christian witness will only become known in generations as yet unborn. Paul loved Ampliatus. Ampliatus clearly if it is the same Ampliatus as is written in the catacomb, clearly wore his faith on his sleeve and was prepared even to win uh, a woman of extreme influence who would have been great danger to him 
to win her and her husband for Christ. Might Ampliatus be your role model? And finally, last, fifth, fifthly, let me just look at, with you at Rufus and his mum in verse 13. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Now just turn back to Mark chapter 15 and verse 21. Mark's Gospel. Which is the story of the crucifixion of Jesus. And Mark 15, page 1023. Uh, Mark 15, 21. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him. Why would Mark mention these boys unless they were known in the early church? Why would he have put that into the gospel, that Simon had two sons, Alexander and Rufus? Mother and son had seen Simon literally carry the cross of Jesus. And now it seems they were in Rome, no doubt still figuratively carrying their crosses. I reflected on this a little bit as I thought about what I might say tonight. Perhaps in your family, I know this is true for some of you actually, perhaps in your family there is a great gospel warrior in the past to inspire you, as Simon of Cyrene must have been an inspiration uh, to Rufus and Alexander. And sometimes perhaps it's a bit of a bore, as it might have been a bit of a bore for him to say, oh, you're Simon's lad. He did a good job with that heavy cross. Every, every time he went out to dinner, somebody must have said that. How many times had Rufus groaned at the story? I'm my own man, not just dad's boy. But now it seems it was his turn uh, to be a Christian leader, and he had stepped up to the plate and he was much valued by Paul. Clearly, he had also looked after his mother, and they had uh, taken a particular interest in Paul's well-being. Might Rufus be your role model, I wonder? You see, whoever you are, whoever you are, there is a place for you in God's church. That's what Romans 16 tells us. The grace of God extends to all. There is a place for you. There is no religious type. There is no Christian type. There is no exclusion at all. There is a place for you in God's church. And I could go on with other examples from the chapter, and you might want to research them. Uh, You can do so in the commentaries. What a diverse bunch we are. What a diverse bunch they are. Jew and Gentile, black and white, male and female, rich and poor, slave and free. And what, of course, does Paul fear for them? Uh, He fears many things for them in the letter. He fears that they won't get the gospel, that they won't really grasp it understand the extent of God's grace. They realize that if they do, as Heather said at the start of the service, that they will be unashamed of the gospel once it's really, once they've grasped it, once they've got it. And clearly the whole letter is so that they will understand that. He's concerned that they should know what the gospel is. But he's also concerned, isn't he, in verse 17, 
he's concerned quite naturally that such a diverse group of people will experience division. Well, surprise, surprise. Church history has borne out that he had every reason to be anxious. And what is the safeguard against division? What is the way in which these people, so different, so extraordinarily diverse, how are they going to be held together? And the answer, of course, is that they are going to be held together by sound teaching, by the acceptance of sound teaching and the rejection of false teaching. Keep away from those who do not teach the word of God. So we need to be wise about what is good, as it says here, and innocent about what is evil. Verse 19. May the church in Rome be our role model as a church. May we, though diverse, be united because together we will stand for the gospel, for what God has revealed to us in his word. And pray for us who have the responsibility to communicate these great truths, to stand for them, to help us all as a church to be united together under the authority of the gospel. And because we're diverse and because we are uh, together and because we're united, I want to finish by taking you out of your comfort zone just for once, actually taking myself out of my comfort zone. And look at verse 16. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, just stand up for a moment. Just stand up. <laughs> and we are now going... We are now going to literally obey the Bible, okay? And I want us to have five minutes and you can mingle around and wander around and especially if you're embarrassed and difficult, you ought to do this anyway. Greet one another with a big hug. Now Heather and I are going to demonstrate the Christian way of doing this because I, uh, because I really want to embarrass Heather actually. No, no but this, we are going to hug each other and you can hug each other. Now you can do anything you like as well if you want. You know, if you're married to them, that's fine. But... Greet one another with a holy quiz. Let's go for it. Go for it. Go for it. <laughs>